Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Mormon History Showdown. I am your host for today, Kara Burrell. Sometimes I go by Nuance Ho, and sometimes I have a very Halloween, October, spooky live stream in store for you on this October 24th, 2023. So uh, here to join me today, I have across the interwebs from the other side of Salt Lake City. Welcome to the show. Uncertainly Carly. Carly, Hello. you certainly are here though. I, I certainly am. I'm uncertain about everything else in life, but I'm certain <laughs> that I want to be here with you. If you guys don't know Carly, uh, I have all of her links down in my description below. She has some of the best roasts, hot takes, opinions, just straight fire, real talk on TikTok, Instagram. That's how I would describe your content. Any other introductions you'd like to give the audience? My name is Carly. I am not Natalie Dormer. <laughs> Everyone says I look like her, which is great, but sadly I am not her. I um, am a post-Mormon. I've got four kids, did the, did the Mormon mom thing, and um, just just vibing. That's what I'm doing. Enjoying roasting I wanted people to, on TikTok, for sure. Yeah, she does it with the best of them. wanted to briefly, before we get in, because one of the main things that we are going to talk about today is this idea of just trying to make things work within the church what progressive Mormons often have to do, whether that's like a progressive look at history or like actually progressive politics that are kind of shoehorned into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, as it is today, kind of going against that authority. And so before I get into anything else, I have to make sure that you guys know that Carly does a lot of great work with Chelsea Homer and a bunch of other people there at Lost and Found Club. So I have links down below if you're looking for post-Mormon community or progressive Mormon community for that matter. Lost and Found Club on Instagram and also Thrive Beyond Religion. That's uh, who I used to help out with a lot of their projects uh, with Clint and Carrie Martin, or sorry, Clint and Jenny Martin and John Delin. So links are down below for that. And so I don't want this entire episode just to be like, you know, crapping on the idea that people are trying to find faith in something. It's really difficult to try to make things work when yes, you do want to have a sense of community somewhere, but it's the arguments that people give of why they need to stay. And what I think just, they don't stand up. So, so first and foremost, thank you guys for coming to the live chat today. I have actually a really, really fun episode in store. Uh, one thing that happened recently was this type of progressive-ish Mormon conference that was held last week in Salt Lake City that I want to get into. There's, there's a lot of reasons why people, whether they encounter information they didn't know before and they try to make things work, or they have like an LGBTQ brother, sister, daughter, whatever. Uh, but yeah. Uh, what about you? The, the, the shelf reasons of just it not being a true thing is what leads most people out. But they, we, I have nothing but empathy for people who are still trying to make things work. Cause I've never walked in every other person's shoes. I don't know, you know, what people's circumstances are, especially with mixed faith marriages and everything. People try to do the best with what they can. Uh, it just comes down to, uh, kind of propagating a church that doesn't exist, a church that really doesn't exist, which we'll get into. Yeah. There's like a million churches within the church. So it, what church is the right church? That's my question. 
Exactly. And somebody just said that they will die if we don't bring up Tim Ballard. This is not a Tim Ballard podcast, even though me and Carly, we could do we could live stream 24 hours. We a could. Day. We could. Yeah. <laughs> me and Carly are always going back and forth on tips of what we know. Uh, but I have the reason why I haven't live streamed in a while. I have been working nonstop because I have so many sources uh, from Tim Ballard that I said I have to just do everything and put it into a documentary. I have so much footage, so many clips. So look for part one and part two coming out in a couple of days. I've been literally have not come up for air in two weeks just to get this documentary. That's going to be different. I'm waiting for the documentary than, like, to podcast. drop. I text your channel every, I, I check your channel every day. I'm like, I know that like, makes me feel anxious, but everyone, when you watch it, you'll be like, oh, I see why this took Kara two weeks. <laughs> that makes sense now. Uh, I learned how to do a, a lot of graphics too. You'll be like, oh, fancy. So one of the very first things that I think we need to discuss, uh, I'll start with the idea of, if you're not familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormon church, you know, it has the authority in, uh, in President Nelson, the prophet of the church and the proposition of the church is that it was in apostasy and that it could be stored by Joseph Smith. That's the restoration. That's the bringing forth of the Book of Mormon, of the priest keys, of the temple covenants, the saving ordinances. And so the difference between um, what I would say are other factions that are a little bit more loose and less orthodox with, with how they interpret Mormonism in, in a picking and choosing, because we all pick and choose what we want to believe about whatever system that we're in that fits us. But in this one, it kind of goes against the proposition that if you believe that the prophets truly are, and you sustain them as prophets, seers, and revelators, uh, it is kind of like admitting that you need to hold your own conference, you need to have your own progressive ideas that are not just contrasting sometimes the things that they teach about LGBTQ people, uh, you know, women's rights, and so forth. Uh, it's it's kind of an admission that as a progressive, you don't like revere the authority. But uh, again, like I know that people have to kind of pick and choose what they mean by sustaining the leadership. Like Natasha Helfer has told me when she was a progressive Mormon before she was excommunicated from the church for being a, you know, a sex therapist who also followed the best practices, psychologically speaking, before she was excommunicated, she would say that she meant sustaining the leadership meant like I sustain them, meaning like I pray for them and I hope the best for them, but I don't follow them like completely just complicit that they know the way all of the time where there's a lot more orthodox uh, versions of Mormonism, the conservative ones, the Desnat ones that just say, follow the prophet. He knows the way the entire time. Does it Thoughts? Julie Hanks also say that about sustain? She's like, probably have, more than one way to sustain. And I, I think she's great. And sorry, Dr. Julie Hanks. I would, I want to make sure I use the correct title. But I think she says something similar. Um, and honestly, I'm I'm for that. I I am not about uh, blindly following leadership, no matter what they say. So I think that's a healthier way to look at your leaders. Yeah, because if my entire thing is like, I don't want to come across as just anti-Mormon. I hope for the best that people who are in the church, they will always try to make Mormonism a healthier place to belong to. Uh, and if dogma is reformed, the best way we know how from the outside in and the bottom up, that's all good and great and everything. And the church will chip away slowly over time. It has to uh, with a changing world around it. 
And that's part of what this conference is that we're going to get into. Um, and another thing that I wanted to add is two different kind of definitions of the word progressive that are used within the Mormon context. One of them means the more traditional idea of progressive, that you have like progressive politics, like socially progressive around um, everything from women's reproductive rights, gay rights, uh, things that you would understand in those normal colloquial terms. And then also progressive, also meaning like progressive historians who tell a certain other the, there's a traditional narrative within Mormonism that Joseph Smith, he, what, rock and a hat, what are you talking about? That never happened. That proves he was into, you know, occult magic or whatever. And then there's the, there's the progressive historian more uh, perspective that is the thing that's kind of shocked most of our system of people who grew up like encountering this stuff on the internet when that wasn't available 20, 30, 50 years ago. So that's like the progressive narrative. So either one that you're using, I'm going to kind of use both of those interchangeable, meaning that it's just not the standard narrative of what the the quorum like of the 12, the, what the Q15, what the textbooks, what the standard curriculum would teach you. And it's members themselves having to interact with a world around them where they they don't revere that authority as much as I think the church leadership would want them to. And they have to find a community that also shares those concerns with them, but they're not actually interacting a lot with them. Um, you know, the things that I would, I would say, you need to put those things forward. You need to actually decide if the proposition of the church is true. Like if it's an important thing in your life, then it's worth mentioning if it's true. It's not just good feelings. You can have good feelings in a lot of systems. You can convince yourself that a lot of different uh, elevated emotions make you know, a lot of religions true or useful, but the, the proposition of the church is that it is true. It's something that you should be putting 10% of your income in, you know, for the rest of your life, you should be attending the temple. You should be cleaning the toilets, you know, every other Saturday. So the proposition of what it means is, is different than, uh, than what I think a lot of progressives want it to mean. They want it to mean like it's true in the sense that it has a good community and I get to express my love of Jesus Christ by serving people. But that's not what the proposition of the church is. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And actually going back to my experience when I was leaving the church, I think there was for a hot minute uh, a moment where I thought, OK, I can make this work. I don't believe any of this, but I want to make this work for exactly the reasons that you were saying for my community. These are the people that I love and I care about. And that lasted maybe a few days. Cause then I thought, wait a second, my kids are going to be taught these things at church that are out of my control. And I don't want to have to constantly do damage control to counteract these teachings that I don't believe in that might make them look at me a certain way. And that was just not, that was not worth it to me. And so I just, I thought, well, then I'm just not going to do this at all. So, so did that move? Great. That was my original graphic before I changed it. And I just wanted everyone to see my <laughs> uh, new Mormon church on the block. And eventually at the end of this, I'm going to go like do the new kids on the block dance. So wait for that at the end. So the faith matters conference. Uh, this was the second annual restore gathering at the mountain America exposition center in Sandy, Utah. And it was attended by thousands of people. It was like 3,500 people seeking wow. a sense of community and celebration in the, uh, of the inspiring and elevating elements of Mormonism. Hold your laughter. All right. We're going to be as respectful as we can. The event featured music, poetry, speeches, and sermons with Latter-day celebrities, including Brandon flowers from the killers, Steve young, 
from the 49ers and Jennifer Finlayson Fife from who follows me on Instagram. She's known for other things, but we did follow each other back last week. And I think that's a pretty cute thing. This should tell the leadership that their members are so starved. They're so starved of anything that has any kind of depth or meaning or philosophical, um, anything that is, that church is so boring. I'm sorry. It's just, it is so bureaucratic and it's just been squeezed of anything fun and deep and engaging. These, the leaders are not theologians. I think I said that right. None of them are maybe some like in the, in the lower leadership, but they're just members are so starved for deeper discussion of scriptures, history, philosophy, morality. And so members start to, to veer off in sort of this like direction. Maybe they're still on the straight, the, the covenant path, but they're, but they're just, they're just going off a little direction here because they're like, we're not getting what we need from church. So we have to create it ourselves. And that looks, mm-hmm. that faith matters conference looks a lot more fun, honestly, than going to church. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I mean, I'm trying to be um, generous because I've never been, I don't know what it's like, but it seems like it's more engaging. That's for sure. Yeah. And that kind of goes into what I was saying earlier that the people like this kind of have to come up with their, their own conferences, similar to Sunstone and other places where people want to have deep conversations, people encounter information that puts them in a faith crisis. And my frustration though, is that all of this responsibility is, is so much on the members and that the church itself who says, you know, uh, elder Ballard has said that we've never hidden anything from the church members before. And then in the same token, like uh, Elder Oaks has been like, I would suggest that the answers to your problems, research is not the answer. And then also they take down half of the links to like the most controversial articles that have to do with church history, right? So it's, it's a church who's played like hide the ball for so long and people who are just trying to do their best with whatever religion they were born into or where they find peace, where they find their community. And the problem is, is like the responsibility is on the community so often to, to try to find healing in this, but there just isn't any, it's just not a true thing. Like I said, it's, it, it can be important, but the, the answer is if it's true or not, and trying to find community is a beautiful thing but then trying to say that it's actually true. And those feelings mean something about Joseph Smith, about the temple, about all of the other problematic uh, policies and uh, you know, you name it, uh, things that have gotten into people's psyche that is harmful and damaging that take, you know, years and years of therapy to sometimes undo that church itself is just not a safe place. But this idea that like, we have to, we have to have this community. We have nowhere else to do it regardless of the structures that be that force so much uh, brokenness onto the people. It, it actually makes me kind of sad in a way, but then I, I'm, I'm generous and I'm happy in, in the same respect that I think this is kind of a natural part of life of the evolution of, you know, the ebb and flows of what religious movements have to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, let me go ahead and read the next slide. So, and then the other thing that we're going to get into, this is kind of an overview of what this episode is going to cover. Then we're going to watch Faith Matters Foundation, who put on this conference, has a video called Why Church that I'm going to be really mean on. I'm going to be not nice, even though I bet I'd be best friends with all of the people in these videos. I'm going to, we're going to absolutely roast them <laughs> on why they stay in the church. Sorry, not sorry. Um, so uh, this, uh, what is this new Mormon church on the block? It's got the right stuff to some and various other new kids on the block quotes. Um, not officially LDS church sanction event brought in 3,500 attendees from across the spectrum of belief and practice faith matters, which defines itself as a space in which an expansive radiant approach to the restored gospel can be considered and discussed. I mean, it is an ongoing revelation, but it is a top-down revelation. You want to have, you know, an expansive approach uh, in your office with your stake president, good luck. Mormons face a society dominated. So part of the, the discussions, um, if I had to summarize the articles that were written on it by the Tribune and so forth, Mormons face a society dominated by secularism and many believers grapple with hard questions. Restore represents a productive and constructive place at the nexus of modernity. I know I said that wrong. Modernity. Modernity. Mo modernity. Sounds like a vaccine. Sounds like a vaccine, but I don't know. It sounds like <laughs> ask your doctor if modernity is right for you today. <laughs> Deeply held religious beliefs, offering a community that will help them engage with it. So right off the bat, though, my main other problem, because I'm in a ranty mood, the nuance is dead today. I did a lot of thinking about what I wanted, like, to appeal to in this video because I, you guys might not know this, I hold back so much and I'm actually not going to hold back at all today if I can help it. Um, because these are nice things. They sound nice. They sound like we'll have an approach that includes a lot of people, no matter how much you talk though, you can hold a conference. You can do a lot of things that make people kind of feel warm and fluffy for a while, but a lot of religions can do that. But when like the rubber meets the road, when push comes to shove, what are the policies and what are the manuals? What are we actually teaching that are from the church sanctioned sources that are in the curriculum, that are in the seminary classes that are going to be, you know, indoctrinated into the youth of the church, into every lesson that's ever given. Is that like uh, an expansive view? Is that no? Cause the church itself is something completely different than what we hope that it is. I hope there's a lot of things that, that we want the church to be. And whether it's a conservative Mormon, an ex-Mormon or a progressive Mormon, they all say the same thing. It's like they want the church to be to be their thing. But the truth of the matter is that it's pretty much always going to be what the leadership dictate that it's going to be. They are the mouthpieces of God. Their dogma has been reformed over time. That's true. But to put all of your eggs in that basket, that like you can make things work, that really is a ticking, you know, clock and time bond. Whether you're concerned, you could be, you know, Tim Ballard getting excommunicated because you put all your eggs in the bucket that M. Russell Ballard's going to sanction your uh, psychic affairs. He's not. So people make up what they kind of wish the church was all the time based on their surroundings and their morals. And uh, it's, it's comforting to have a community that you know, you can go to, that's understandable. But at the end of the day, church itself, the proposition 
is nothing like what we hope that it is. It's it's a corporation at the end of the day. Exactly. Exactly. And I just keep thinking, okay, we know conferences like this are not the church in a lot of different ways, legally speaking, doctrinally speaking. But then I think, okay, what is the church? What is the doctrine of the church? Like, what is the official doctrine? I want it in clear, specific terms. I want every leader to come out and say, here's all of our doctrine that we unequivocally stand by. Because the thing is, they are incredibly vague about, about their doctrine. And that's by design so that people can go to these conferences and feel good about what they're doing. And that's, that's great. I, I mean, I, I'm going to be maybe less ranty than you because I'm trying to, again, I, this is the first kind of that I'm hearing about these conferences, but, but, but they are able to do these conferences and say like, Hey, we can teach these things and we can believe these things because the doctrine is so unclear by mm -hmm. design. And <laughs> yeah. What is the church if if not just a corporation? <laughs> um, so RFM, you guys know Radio Free Mormon. Uh, he has this list that he's come up with that I wanted to read at any given time. I think this is the right time to insert it. He said five rules to the game of Mormonism, all of them from the perspective of church leaders. Rule number one, we are going to hide stuff from you. Rule number two, we are going to try to keep you from finding the stuff we are hiding from you. Rule number three, we are going to lie about hiding stuff from you. Rule number four, you can't blame us for hiding stuff from you. Rule number five, if you talk about the stuff we are hiding from you, we will hide you. See to rule number two. Once you understand the five rules of the game, everything else falls into place. So that's what Carly is talking about. If you're not, you know, as familiar with Mormonism. Yeah, there's, there's doctrines of the church. There's people saying like, well, doctrines never change. And the doctrines absolutely have the Greg Prince historian has said, you cannot find a doctrine of the church that hasn't changed. So that tells that, you know, for you, but what really matters is well, what you're interacting with in terms of the doctrine and the policies and the teachings is, is a little bit more relevant. It's when you actually interact with it and then show up with, I believe this part of the doctrine, or I believe this part, when you do pick and choose, the church is going to have a big problem <laughs> with you if you're taking anything and putting anything to light that they don't want you to know about that is not what their sanctioned ideas of what doctrine is and so it's you do have to like pretend to to go along with uh you know putting your entire faith in it's, it's say put your faith in jesus christ as we'll get into but it's truly have your faith in jesus christ through the office of the president through the office of the quorum of the 15 and then follow those five rules Kara, you mean they don't want you to come up with this thing called a couple's ruse endorsed by Elder Ballard and then spread it around as if that's the gospel truth? It's like you he picked and chose what he liked from Joseph Smith's history. Like Tim Ballard, Tim Ballard is way more in line with Joseph Smith than um, President Nelson is. Like 100%. I can barely even tell Tim Ballard and Joseph Smith apart at this point. So it's uncanny honestly. It's uncanny, right? Uncanny. Uh, so uh, next thing, I just wanted to also read, some people don't know that Brandon Flowers from The Killers is Mormon. And uh, he has a I'm a Mormon campaign 
from a few years ago. And he's like, still got a little patty pat going for my my religion back here. And again, my most generous take is I have not walked in everybody's shoes and people can gravitate towards all kinds of ideas within Mormonism and any other kind of faith structure and, and take the things that are comforting to them and the structures that are comforting to them. Uh, it's, it's another thing though, when you propagate ideas and you act like they're not as harmful as they actually are in real life and generally just espouse this like marketing for the church that like, if I can do it and I'm a rock star, like I can do it and I'm gay or I can do it and I'm this or that. Anybody who kind of comes to the table and says that I can do it. So can you, even if that's not the explicit message message, but it's just implied. I do get a lot of ick from that one, because it's usually somebody who's being paid to like write a book for <laughs> Deseret or they have some kind of job tied to it, you know, or, or just to, people go through so much cognitive dissonance and so much pain and turmoil over trying to make things work. We, we need less people, honestly, who are celebrities saying you can make it work or anybody like that. We need honest conversations about like, I make it work, but it's really hard because I don't like that Joseph Smith married 14 year olds. And I don't like that. Like my gay friends are looked down on because of our church doctrine. Like they don't have honest discussions, but they do say how it works for them. And it just doesn't work for everybody. That's my problem. Um, so, uh, anything else you want to say before I read Brandon Flowers quote from the conference? I'm just thinking of him in that interview with, uh, Richard Dawkins. You saw that. I'm, sure. I'm going to play it. Don't even oh, spoil it. it. I have it ready. We are of one heart oh, and one okay. mind and dwell in Zion and they call us righteousness, Carly. Okay. We are together, so, sister wives forever. Uh, so he just wanted to read some of the quotes if you wanted to get inside the mind of what how Brandon Flowers' testimony is doing. He said, I got religious DNA, the singer told the rapt audience. I'm a natural believer. It just makes sense to me. He was reared in central Utah's Nephi by a Latter-day Saint family and wasn't crazy active in the church, he said, but he learned the basics. That could mean a lot of things. You learn to like be nice to people, be honest with your fellow man, or like you learned the basics to like snuff, snuff down all your true feelings in favor of following your parents or the community. I don't know. I won't judge too harshly, but Flowers wasn't involved in the church after starting the band in 2001. He married outside the faith and had no plans to persuade his wife to join. Anyone who says that, I have a little bit of doubt because you like, you know, you leave book of Mormons around the house when you're Mormon and you want someone to convert while on his first tour. However, unbeknownst to him, his mom gave his wife a copy of the book of Mormon, the fam, the faith's foundational scripture. And she converted one big, happy Mormon family together. They began going to church and slowly became more and more involved. Quote, I don't think we have all the pieces of the puzzle. He said, but the picture I see makes me want to follow Christ and take my kids to church. Thoughts, Carly. The picture I see makes me want to follow Christ. Like the picture that he sees in the church or like in the world. The pieces of Mormonism make sense to him. He has religious DNA. He's not soul, but he's not a soldier. He, um, various other quotes from his songs. You, it makes sense to you, Brandon, because that is all you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sure that he has been around the world and he has seen lots of things, but that is deep down, like you said, his DNA, his, his culture, his heritage, of course, it makes sense to him because that's, that's what feels right. That's what feels good. That's what 
is that's his family that's his community of course it makes sense to you <laughs> i mean it, a jewish person judaism makes sense to them that's born into it and that's their bloodline that's their culture those are the tr their traditions islam makes sense to muslims that are born into it makes sense to jehovah's witnesses that makes sense to them i mean sorry like of course it makes sense to you <laughs> Yeah. And I'm going to do the liberal feminist thing. And I'm going to be like, of course, it makes sense to you, white guy. Of course, it makes sense to you. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things anyway. I don't go that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. If I may quote from my own popular TikToks as my Mormon character, I have one where it's like, you know, there's been a lot of talk going around the Internet these days. And let me just speak my piss and say this. We don't have all the pieces, but what we do have is a couple of them. I just have to have more puzzle pieces first before I can figure out where LGBTQ suicide epidemics fit in. Good thing I'm straight for now. End quote. Anyway, that's how it goes. It's like we have some of the puzzle pieces. I just have to figure out where like some of the worst things that are directly caused by the doctrine fit in, you know, like we have to really interact with what those puzzle pieces that we do have what are what is like the known data what do we know about the real world psychological effects you know it's not like you have faith in absence of evidence it's like you have faith despite the evidence that we have and i find that to be a problem the picture analogy is interesting and I've, i i hear members use that analogy a lot and actually i think dan mcclellan mentioned something like this about the picture on the box of this puzzle that you're putting together about the Bible, but we can use this for the LDS church. The thing is, everybody's picture of this church looks different. So what is that picture? What does it involve? What are on each of the individual puzzle pieces? And how do you know that your picture is right if you don't have every single puzzle piece and not everyone has the same puzzle piece as you so how in the world are you supposed to know what this picture is and it's not completed you know it's the it's the ongoing restoration right so what is the picture what does it look like how do you know you in your own head have the right picture because because sister johnson down the street is going to think be thinking of a different picture, especially if she's older and she's born in the 70s and she's taught different things. And then you have Gen Z McKinsey in Utah. She's got a different picture. So what is the picture? That's that's what I want to know. It goes back to like, okay, what is the church? What is the doctrine? Tell me. I just want to know. <laughs> um that's funny that you say that because uh one of the main speakers at this conference is Jared Halverson, who I've done a couple of videos on. And after Jared saw my response, he took me out to lunch at Apollo Burger and we had a fantastic three hour chat. And I will put that out there. I will talk to a Mormon apologist any day on camera or off. I learned so much just like pretending to be an anthropologist to be like, crack open your skull. I want to see how your culture works. But anyway, uh, one of the things he said is when we first sat down is he's like, tell me about the church that you left. Like, what did you believe about Christ? What did you believe about the leadership? And like, he's like, that's the, the best starting point to understand why somebody left their faith. And I could see what he's doing. Cause I'm a smart, smart girl. 
And I was like, you can't catch me. Steps ahead of him. <laughs> I'm the gingerbread woman. I kind of <laughs> look like a gingerbread woman. I was trying to go you for do. like a, the best way. Um, I'm trying to go for like a just general woman that's out of Tim Ballard's league is how I live my life. But um it's the women out of Tim Ballard's league podcast. Um no, but right here. I uh was like, you can't catch me because I I like I said, I was conservative. The Jesus Christ that I worship was like the best interpretation of of who he was. And so as we'll get into the the idea of what the church is, is different in so many people's minds to the point that even one of the church's like top teachers, apologists, Jared Halverson, who, you know, headlines these types of conferences, he knows that he knows that everybody interacts with, with the doctrine and the policy is different. And some people, they leave just because they had a bad time and they had a leader who did something terrible to them. And, you know, it's like, we can isolate that leader. Okay. Well, let's just say, or we can isolate that. Like, you know, you have too many progressive policies, and ideals that the church will never, you know, come around on. We understand why you left like that. But what the church does not like is the hordes of people coming in contact with the information that has been hidden of the people who have been excommunicated throughout history, who are just asking questions about what is this church that we believe in? Why is the first vision story changing? Why was it hidden from us? You know, why was Joseph Smith marrying underage girls? Why was he marrying pregnant women? Why was he taking foster children in and then changing that relationship from father, foster daughter into husband and wife relationships, things that we know we wouldn't put up with if Warren Jeffs did it and things that uh, just have caused massive amounts of trauma with the ghost of eternal polygamy. Like when we actually get to ask, uh, you know, historians and church apologists that, you know what their answer is. I've done a lot of research on it. It usually comes down to that you're basically led away by Satan and that you even asking these questions is you having too much doubt and you need to just trust Jesus Christ. It's like the Jesus Christ I'm trusting is still taught to me as through these leaders, as that I only I can access this atonement. I can only access the Holy Ghost through these ordinances, through jumping through your hoops. Well, Kara, you have to go back to the primary questions. Mm -hmm. Is there a God? Tell me. Does he love you? And I always want to say, yeah, let's let's start there. Is there a God? <laughs> what does that God look like? How do we know your God is Richard, the right God? <laughs> yeah. Richard is asking, who's this lady next to Kara? This young woman, this fresh-faced 18-year-old. <laughs> I wish. When people call me lady, I'm just like, am I playing bridge at a Excuse country me. club? What's the lady? Richard's Richard's dope though. Richard, Richard, you're on the level. Um, this is Carly from uh, Uncertainly Carly, or also goes on by on TikTok. Was it Carl's Jr. Carl's Head Jr. My dad used to call me that. He is dead, so I took up that handle in his memory. So I don't, I don't know why he called me that, but I think it's because we live next to close to a Carl's Jr. I'm not even kidding. So he kind of just, I don't know. He was kind of weird. Well, well, your TikTok is a great way to honor him. So. May he rest in peace. Um, Thank you. Next. I was going to say real quick, uh, though. Um, Jared Halverson's mom was my seminary teacher. His mom was your seminary he, teacher? We, we, I was in oh. the same fake. So his mom was my seminary teacher when I was a senior in high school. That's actually why we brought Carly on, if you're wondering why she's here. <laughs> uh, we have Jared Halverson's mom's seminary student <laughs> here. She loved me. So to read the end of that quote, he said, 
uh, goes on to say in the Salt Lake Tribune, four years ago when the church's year-long curriculum was the New Testament, it prompted him to write several songs for the band's album, Imploding the Mirage. The lyrics were all about reconciliations, Flower said, because the topic that topic kept coming up that year, especially being reconciled to my wife and to God. Millions of his fans may not get those messages. He's okay with that. So definitely lets his Mormonism influence his music. He is like... You know, if you have to have Mormonism and uh, combined in some way with your profession and making money, Tim Ballard, you missed a good one. Can you just write some catchy tunes and tour with it? That's how you bring people to the American Covenant. It's not your workaround, Timothy Ballard. Is he in a throuple with God and his wife? I shouldn't That's even ask that because I think everybody in the church is <laughs> there any. They're in a throuple with Jesus and their spouses. Yeah. You haven't seen the triangle. Were you paying attention in Jared Halverson's mom summary class? It's, triangle. it's the holy threesome between you and your husband and God and God's at the center. And if you're always moving upwards towards God, you'll get closer to your spouse. You know, I feel like Jim Halpert should just come up and draw like that. That's a pyramid scheme. That's an MLS. Mormonism is a pyramid scheme. We figured it out here for you folks live. All right. Here's the clip you're talking about. So since we're talking a lot about uh, uh, Brandon Flowers, we can't miss this clip of, you know, people don't believe that like, he, does he really believe? He really does believe he was at this conference, you know, just last week professing his belief in Mormonism. And then here he is on a talk show in Britain talking to the one and only Richard Dawkins, who I hope for my audience needs no introduction. And he was kind of flowering with his answer. Did that make sense? All right. Uh, tell me if you want to pause on any of this. When I read the Book of Mormon recently, I didn't read it all, what impressed me was that it's an obvious fake. I mean, this is a 19th century book written in 16th century English, and it came to pass, verily I say unto you, and things like that. That's not the way people talked in the 19th century. It's a fake. So it's not beautiful. It's a work of charlatanry. You're free to answer. The book's been studied and, and, and torn apart and, and looked at, and I'm not... So first, the thing I was going to say on that part, though, is... I don't know about you, but that was definitely something that I believed. I probably would have sat as just as uncomfortably as Brandon Flowers is so there. Yeah, he's like looking for the host to be like, uh, this is awkward, you know, but that's what you get when you're on a, the same program as one of the most famous atheists in the world. But when he's like, you know, it's been torn apart this way or another, like I really did believe that. And you kind of believe the other people in the church that tell you like Elder Holland has said, like people have been trying to tear this thing apart since the day it was published, but you have to go un over or under your testament of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon because it is so true. And you you look up to other, you know, your apostles wouldn't lie to you, the scholars who apparently are paid by the church, but you believe that it's kind of like a, a you know, you 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 will see what you want to see and. There's scholars in the church that do that, and there's scholars in every religion that do that. But at the end of the day, yeah, it has been torn apart since the day it was published, and it was proven a fraud. <laughs> like, 
I, I just don't think Brand Flowers is, is able to do anything but just regurgitate what he's heard other people tell him about the Book of Mormon. But if he's actually interacted with, you know, the anachronistic things and the plagiarisms and so forth, I would highly doubt it. I don't even know what the backstory is about the interview, like what the context was. Why on earth is Richard Dawkins talking to Brandon Flowers about Mormonism? I, it's probably a talk show. Maybe they were on together, I'm assuming. It's like a but, great fever dream for us to be like, so wow. Weird. It's so weird. And he's clearly so uncomfortable. And I don't know how much of a heads up he was given that he was going to have to debate the Book of Mormon to this. Isn't he um, a biologist or something? Right. Uh, anthrop no. Yeah. Richard Dawkins. Um, and like Richard Dawkins has said some good stuff. And lately he's kind of been a bigot. So I. I don't want to like uphold him as some, you know, beacon of, uh, I don't know, in intelligence or ethics because he said some interesting transphobic stuff lately, but it's such a weird conversation and Brandon is so uncomfortable and I honestly felt a little bad for him. I felt a little bad for him. I felt like he was reverting back into like, I am... 10 years old and I have to stand up to this kid who says Mormons are in a cult and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. He just seems so boyish in that moment. Cause you're right. You have to just regurgitate the script that you've been taught and there's no real deep thought. And I don't want to sound dismissive. I don't want to sound um, like I'm, I'm saying that no Mormons no Mormon has ever thought critically. That's not what I'm saying. But it just seems in that moment, he's like, I just I have to say what I know. And I know that this Book of Mormon has been torn apart. And I picture like someone actually tearing apart like page by page. We're going to find, we're going to find the truth to this book some way, somehow. And I, I felt, I felt a little bad. I felt a little bad for him in that moment. Yeah, we should. I mean, we all feel bad. We've all been in that situation before. Like who among us hasn't had somebody come up to them and say like, you know, Joseph Smith was a con man or a fraud. And you have to be like, well, I have a testimony. I know the church is true. I love my mom and dad. Like yeah. you, sometimes you don't have a lot of interactions with people telling you straight up to your face why your religion is false. Like, so it's kind of all of us in a way, but then you come to the other side where you do interact with the information. You're like, yeah, it was torn apart. It was true. It was false. Uh, now I understand. I got to sort out my life thusly, you know. Uh, also, I have links down below. I am a 501c3 nonprofit now and I am looking for more donors. And one thing I need to do is A, find a new studio. And then B, I also uh, need to have like a space because Carly, you live in Salt Lake. I could just be like, hey, come over and I could have a studio, but I don't, yeah. I don't have a second mic. So fund the programming and I can get more guests in studio. Somebody asked, did flowers go on a mission? No. As I said, he's got soul, but he's not a soldier. And apparently that song is about him believing, but not enough to do anything about it. You know? Well, that's like the whole first presidency currently, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not out of the question that you Rules can still for the, but not for me. Right. All right, I need to jump back into the middle of this. Uh, you have you, you you you're free to answer. 
the book's been studied and 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 torn apart and and looked at and i am not i'm not one of the one of the professors of that is that have, that have done it yeah. but do you do you believe if you to call this man a charlatan it i do i do i take offense to it and he was a convicted charlatan no, he was a convicted no, con man no th these are all falses you should do your do your research well yeah. I, yeah. I think i have yeah. <laughs> I know, I know what you're going through, but I've done an entire episode on Hannah Stoddard responding to Joseph Smith not being a treasure digger on my channel. He absolutely was convicted, went through a trial. There's a judge says, you're guilty of being a fraudster, bud. Interchangeable with charlatan, interchangeable with just a person who went around lying to people to get their money. And of course, unless you are, you know, to push through and understand that you might read some information that might change the trajectory of your life. Not everyone's willing to do that. That is a problem of a cult's way of brainwashing and telling you that like anything that is, you know, suspect or looks like it might be damaging to your faith, that those things are just not true. If they bring bad feelings, then it's something you should away from. So this is not about Brandon necessarily. This is about the church as a system itself that is instilled people to not look into that to say no he's, he's not a charlatan he's, he's not church historians who know this stuff backwards and forwards can be like yeah yeah he was a charlatan but i mean he can still be a prophet for other reasons and the and the point where he says i take offense to that yes you do because this is to say something negative about joseph smith is to say something negative about you because you're so enmeshed your identity is so enmeshed in this religion you cannot disentangle it unless you're actively going to therapy <laughs> but yeah it's therapy. like it's he's not he's not um saying something negative about you brandon he's talking about joseph smith who is dead yeah I'm, we're gonna say the 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 um the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost who is dead amen and it's not it's not you so just calm calm down <laughs> And take a minute and just say, why am I so personally offended when someone says something negative about this person that I don't know and never knew personally? Maybe just take a minute to dissect that just, just for a second. All right. Let's test the audience. Everybody buckle in. I have an experiment for you. Okay. Ready? Everyone paying attention? Carly? All right. I am going to have to play a clip right now. And if you feel any warm sentimental feelings whatsoever, then ha, the church is true. Tricked you. All right. This is Brandon Powers singing at the conference. If you feel warm feelings, that means the church is true. That supersedes all of your doubts, warm feelings, elevated emotion, songs that remind you of peace. It hooks you. It tricks you. See if it works on my audience. You feeling it yet? Should I wait? Should I go to the ending? He really brings it. If you didn't know, churches are now like trying to get more evangelical. You'd never see this at a Mormon church. You might see this as an evangelical church of some kind. You would not see guitar, very evangelical, and lights and productions. 
but they're they're going in a whole different direction. It's probably the most you know lucrative one. Music is such a powerful tool to bring people together, regardless of what kind of building you are in. And Brandon Flowers is a great artist and a great singer. I mean, subjectively, I'm sure for some people, but and like that's a great song. Like I miss I miss a lot of the hymns. I miss singing together as a community. And yeah, music is there's like science. There's there's science behind there's elevation emotion and then there's the science of you know when people congregate together and do things like they sing they sing certain songs and it's all as one cohesive unit. You know, if you've seen these concerts where it's like an acapella concert, I forget the guy's the artist's name, but he basically conducts the audience to sing the music together. And it is so incredibly powerful. And that's what you that's what anybody would call the spirit. If they were sitting there in that concert, it's moving, it makes you cry. And what is the difference between that and then going to church and singing a nice, lovely hymn? And it moves you. There's no difference. And how are you able to say, like, this is the spirit. This is just worldly, uh, secular. I, I don't know. I, I, I know they're not saying they're secular, but it's just, I don't know. I find it fascinating. I just think it's like we have this culture of these hymns, you know, and what if we we didn't. Jacob like Collier. That's right. Sorry. Who's that? Someone said the artist's name. He's the he's the guy who does the acapella concert. I've seen some of his videos on TikTok, and they are incredible. The music is incredible. So it's Jacob Collier. Thank you. Ex Mormon songbook. Right, right. But this, yeah, I just, uh, you know, the church is trying to modernize. They had that big thing at the Delta 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 Center a couple of months ago, where they had, uh, what's her name with the hair that my sister loves. Everyone name her together in unison. Oh, you're not all in the room with me? Dang it. You know. Wait, when, is, when was this? The one that was a couple months ago that had One Direction. Not One Direction. I am out of it. Had, I was going to say SZA. My daughter just I can't have, I, that's, that's I can't have any references. Forget my rant whatsoever. Uh, one Republic? That's it? Yeah? I'm familiar? Maybe. That's a band that the kids listen to these days, right? <laughs> And then they had like worship music and stuff and they brought like Christian artists and they filled the Delta Center with a bunch of, you know, young single adults. And there's just pictures of them like worshiping with their hands up and it's indistinguishable from worship music and evangelical church, you know. And like I said in my other video that the church is putting up more crosses as symbols on Google Maps instead of the Angel Moroni. And they're trying to move away from Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon into talking more about Christ that you kind of can't distinguish that like, are we talking about that one church with the missionaries and the temple baptisms for the dead and the bigamy? The church is trying to do its best to distance itself from what the church kind of always has been and been proud of to be like, I'm a Mormon to this entire new Christian type of rebrand. And I just think the music is just another element of that. Imagine if you take missionaries to something like Faith Matters. I mean, not missionaries. Imagine if missionaries take investigators to something like Faith Matters and they're like, look how incredible our church is. <laughs> look how inclusive and just open and just meaningful our church is. Look, isn't this incredible? And then 
they're like bamboozled. <laughs> they go to the actual church and they're like, this is, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah, that's, that's one of the more insidious things. And my best interpretation of, you know, progressive Mormons and people like this holding these big conferences is that this is more for their personal faith journey. Um, but, you know, that when you put out a bunch of YouTube videos, we're going to watch in here in a second, projecting of why the church is good and what people like about it uh, is going to be very different from the average person's experience with it. And I will have to play the clip and I can get into more of, of the specificity of that type of rant of, you know, what a convert might experience of the way that the church wants to propagate its best ideals while somebody's investigating versus somebody who's lived it for a lifetime knows the ins and outs of it and know how harmful and damaging everything behind this nice exterior, this facade can be right. Uh, so my rant for the faith matters people goes as follows. I thought that Alan Watts encompassed my thoughts pretty well on this. Carly, I'd love your thoughts. We're all on a post-Mormon journey here. Um, and I think this summarizes kind of the, just the journey of trying to discover yourself. And this is a beautiful quote from Alan Watts that says, faith is a state of openness or trust to have faith is like when you trust yourself into water, you don't grab a hold of the water when you swim, because if you do so, you'll become stiff and tight in the water and sink. You have to relax. And the attitude of faith is the very opposite of clinging and holding on. In other words, a person who is fanatic in matters of religion and clings to certain ideas about the nature of God and the universe becomes a person who has no faith at all. Instead, they are holding tight. But the attitude of faith is to let go and become open to truth, whatever that uh, might turn out to be. And the reason why I like that is because as I've gone through this ex-Mormon journey, you not only do you have to let go of what you thought was just a universal truth, Joseph Smith restored this church, I'll be with my family forever. You have to let go of those types of things. Uh, but generally on just a journey of, of what's right and wrong, how do I know what's, you know, how, how do I make decisions for my life? People ask me in my DMs all the time when they're lost or they're thinking like normally I would pray about if I should take this job offer, I should marry this person. And like the journey of life is to have like that faith in yourself and that you are like the universe that is able to, uh, to see yourself interacting with your environment and not have this fixed idea that you are here, God is here, but that it is all, uh, this, this all embodied encompassing amorphous way of looking at yourself and that you're not just pinpointing that you're, you're at the right conclusion. It's actually the more beautiful way to look at it is, is, is that letting go that you have faith in yourself and you, and you have an intuition in yourself because you are part of this greater plan, this, this thing that you can trust that will unfold before you and that the journey that you're on is what's going to be best for your development as this type of universe experiencing itself. Does that make sense? That's kind of the, the short version of, of why I really like this quote and why I think that it's, um, it's more, it's more beautiful and nurturing to view the things that we don't know in this context versus Mormon's context of faith, which is a lot more like, you know, it's true. You testify that it's true all the time and you never waver from it. And then we're going to hold fair conferences to, to tell you all of these stupid spins and apologetic reasons why you should believe it 
even if your your faith and hope for things that are not true is not actually sufficient, we're going to come up with all this other bullshit evidence that that just leads to this spin, this cognitive dissonance game that just rolls you into a pretzel. And like you can just be open to whatever comes. You understand that you're just part of this universe that's interacting and you can handle whatever comes. That's how I put it. That is beautiful. I feel like I need to be on mushrooms to really get the the depth of, of this conversation and that quote from Alan Watts. That was so good. And yeah, just like peace, love, and vibes forever. Peace, love, and vibes. It's good vibes but over here. It is, it is true. And I never understood, stood, well, especially after I left the church, why faith always had this opposite definition of being certain about something. I mean, that's why my one of my handles is uncertainly Carly. I'm like, I don't know a goddamn thing. Um, You're the perfect person to have on. So, <laughs> so but it's so weird how if you if you are not sure about your testimony, that means you are losing your faith. That makes no sense to me because faith, by the definition that of that Mormons would typically lose, is say it with me, um, hope for things that cannot be seen. Faith, hope for things that are believed but not seen. Alma, something or other. Right, right. So I guess, I guess you could see it in, in that way. I mean, but that could be used for all sorts of things. I mean, I, I mean, like I have faith in any other God, like pick one <laughs> and who's to say that I'm wrong, but it's, it's just been so weird how it's this term faith has been co-opted to mean that you are so incredibly sure of your belief. And to waver at all means that you are in the grasp of Satan. And that is so, it's so, it's so dumb, first of all, and it's so harmful. So. Yeah, that it. leads me to a couple of notes I was taking as I was watching this because I cannot emphasize enough. If you're not familiar with Mormon culture, the teachings about apostates, about how your family will be broken up if you doubt and how much. Uh, just in the general lessons is instilled into the membership of of lazy learners and language that just makes it look like people who leave are are just despicable because they couldn't push through. They couldn't have enough faith. But like I said earlier, there's faith. There's like, you know, I hope for things, generally speaking, but with something like a restoration, Joseph Smith, the claims, the propositions of the church, the prophecies not coming true, like you know, by a thousand different angles and puzzle pieces, you know, the, the propositions of the church, it's not that we have faith that something else will miraculously make it true. It's that we have the evidence of the things that they said were true and they can be disproven. So it's, it's like believing something despite the evidence. And then you're still called the lazy learner. You're still called, you know, the, the sons of perdition and the connotation of, of doubting is has eternal consequences that's why faith crises they rock people because you want to have a sure foundation as it said in the church you want to build your house on on a on rock and not sand as the primary song goes and you do that and you assume that the leader are going to be telling you the truth and that they'll never lead you astray and then then there's this divide between all the times that they haven't told the truth and they have led us astray. And when we acknowledge that and point that out, it's, it's the, the membership who has to 
find a way to work around that and negotiate their belief and their activity in this church. And that's where there's, again, yes, conferences like this, progressive, conservative people who they gravitate to the certain types of things and how much integrity they're going to decide when they show up, decide to have when they show up in this kind of system. And it feels like an abusive spouse who's like gets caught that they're, they, that they cheated on you. And instead of like admitting, Hey, I'm going to go sleep with somebody else and cheat on you. It's only when they get caught, then the church has to be more upfront with these things that do rock people's testimonies that if we knew, and we had informed consent going into, but of course in religions where you're baptized at eight years old and you're just kind of raised to believe these things, you, you assume the best out of your leaders. And then when it comes forward that like, you haven't been honest with me, you've been, you know, sleeping with Sally Jones down the block. Hey, it's, it's the onus is still on the member to believe despite that, to still forgive, not even forgive, but like still go on, like nothing else happened. You can't bring these things up in Sunday school. Like there's, there's a million different reasons why being a progressive Mormon is, is one of the hardest things to do. Cause in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of the right answers as one of my commenters on my Instagram today said, when I was asking people to write in about progressive Mormons, it's like, they didn't finish the assignment. It's like progressive Mormons in a lot of ways, they know a lot of the right answers. think they're on the right path of understanding, like the best ideals of, of Jesus Christ and loving and serving and all of that. But it's like, they're, they're, they're such a small subsection of the church because it's, it's not the mainstream uh, way of actually living the church as much as videos and propaganda will make you want to think that that is right? Like the, the, the progressive Mormon section of the church is actually quite narrow. And I think everyone from all angles kind of does beat up on them. So I want to go hard on them in this next clip, but not too, too hard because I understand you're, you're feeling like this, this spouse sometimes that, that got cheated on or something. And you just, you're still trying to interact in this marriage, quote unquote, but it's, it's a church, it's a community doing the best that you can. Cause this is still where you're your security lies. You don't know really what else that you'd do without it, but you know, ex Mormons, they want to get progressive Mormons to leave. You're like, you've almost finished the assignment. You're almost there. And conservative Mormons can't stand progressive Mormons. I have a part two, by the way, I'm going to have to do tomorrow on Jacob Hansen who made my video for me. I'll just show you. It's the funniest video that Jacob Hansen put up that he thinks is like some kind of slam dunk. But anyway, there's conservative Mormons, you know, that they hate progressive Mormons for changing the church. And then there's the leadership who doesn't want to interact with, uh, you know, John DeLynn, Natasha Helfer, and they want to excommunicate people for being too progressive and trying to change the culture of the church in ways that they, they deem out of their orthodoxy. Right. And so it's like, everybody does kind of beat up on progressive Mormons, but it's because I don't know, like, I would guess like 95% of all ex Mormons at some point were a progressive Mormon. At some point they put the pieces together and they're almost there. It's like they have to finish the assignment. Just like see that through that Christ-like love and compassion that you're talking about. Is that within the, did you get that from the church? Did you really get that from the church? Can you really say that that's where it's only found? No. no. And the more you try that, the more you're, you're butting heads with your, with your, you know, ecclesiastical leaders. That's where this uh, unraveling happens. And it's one step at a time. And so there's, there should be a space for people to, to be progressive again, in both terms of the word. Uh, and so I don't want to beat up, beat up on them too bad. It's, it's a landing ground. It's, it's a space in, in and of itself, but it's a small one and everyone kind of wants them to not be the way that they are, but it's a necessary kind of, you know, stop 
on the progression of what it means to be religious in 2023. That's that. Yes. Let's say progressive Mormonism is, is this can be a stepping stone. Again, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't on there for very long, if at all, but, um, amen to all that you said. And I want to see this, uh, I want to see this next clip. All right. So finally we're going to watch this clip from faith matters called why church and pause me at any time. I have a couple stops of markers of, of where I think it should stop. Uh, but let's go. It'd be a philosophical sounding thing to say uh, <laughs> about church. What's funny is when I think about why church in my mind, I'm hearing why church? Cause I, I don't like church. I don't like going to church. I never have since I was like a kid. I'm an introvert. So when he said that, uh, first instinct that came to my mind was like, I'm not here to, you know, tell anybody of any different interaction with their identity, race, sexual orientation, how they should show up at church. But it does behoove me to mention that I did not think that he was going to. Well, I did think because it is obviously like a propaganda type of video, but you don't think that the black guy is going to say like, I didn't want to go to church because you're an introvert. I think that you should probably untangle why your introvertness is maybe like, that's like the stopgap between really interacting. Cause I know many, many people of color who uh, have been Mormon and it wasn't their introvertness that kept them from liking church. I will say that. Why church? Uh, yeah. That, it, it just goes back to what I was saying. Uh, yeah. Cause it's boring. It's really, uh, how much can I swear on this, on this stream here? Will you get shut down? It's just really goddamn no. boring. So, yeah. um, yeah, I get it. I get it, dude. This is introvert. There we go. A lot of people gathered in one space. Oh my gosh, I have to prepare for that. I, you know, I love pondering. I love reading the scriptures. I love going to the temple, and I often feel like I get more out of my scripture study on my own than I do oh, from going to Sunday school. Why is it worth? What'd you say? I said it's Ben. <laughs> do you know him? Shalat Shalati. Isn't he? He's a. He does that uh, questions from the closet with uh, Charlie Bird, right? Oh, is he gay? Yep. Oh, all right. Well, again, I that's why I'm like, right. I won't watch everybody's so shoes. You know, the only thing I was going to say to that is one thing that also annoys me. This is where I'm going to get so mean. I have a huge problem with anyone who says that they love the temple because for 99.9% of people who say that they love the temple, they're totally bullshitting us. They don't love the temple, but they want to act. They want to be seen like they love the temple because that comes with a certain badge of righteousness with it. You really like spending three hours of your day taking on and off different robes and looking in a baker's hat and shaking old man's hands and you can't leave to go use the bathroom and the long ass movie you have to watch over and over again. You're doing ordinances for the dead. And not that he cares because he's gay. He can sit next to his partner. Oh, they found a loophole. You can, the gay men, gay people who attend the, attend the temple can sit next to their loved ones. But you go on a date night, your spouse is across the room from you because never the twain shall meet, male and female, while you oh, were on a date night, God. go do baptisms and ordinances the for the temple. dead. Date night at the temple was the absolute worst. 
I call the temple experience. I like to say it's the emperor's new clothes type thing yeah. where you're just like, the emperor, your clothes are so nice. And that just takes one person to be like, the dude, the, the guy is naked. Like, what are you talking about? And sometimes it just, it just needs more people to just stand up and say, what are we doing? What is this? Why, what, what is going on? Like, what, what are you wearing? What are you doing? I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's so, there are some people who are like, I love the temple. It's so quiet and peaceful and I can get away from my kids. And I said, you don't have to pay 10% of your income to get that. You do know that, right? <laughs> yeah. Cause this whole thing, if you, I edited it down, it's about twice as long. I just edited out a couple of the clips that I wanted to show. And for the most part though, they don't have a lot of, uh, clue into the general audience watching it that this is at all talking about that thing that you know joseph smith the polygamist started <laughs> but words like the temple or, or things like that are more dead giveaways but even still it could be like mm, maybe he's jewish i don't know <laughs> but uh for the most part they're trying to come across quite mainstream in this um why 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 church obviously you can connect to god on your own you go to nature you can pray by your bedside it's not the only place where we can encounter god but I think there's something really powerful about encountering God together. What do we mean by Again, just quick pause. You know, she says, why the slights? Why the this or that? That's like, I mean, I I was the most like anti-social justice warrior, anti-feminist conservative you could ask for like four years ago. So like anyone who has a problem with anything, it's like, okay, victim complex. So like, let me, anyone who has that concern, let me put that in a box and put it aside for you. But generally, yes, like the slights and the actual like psychological matters that happen that come up when you come from an extremely white religion, extremely heteronormative. I used to make fun of people who said that word, look at me now, but here we go. Like the ways that the church is and when people from all around the world and the supposedly global religion are going to have constant slights against the way that they interact with God. Go to freaking Ghana, okay? I have friends who served a mission there and try to tell Ghanan people, you know, to, to interact in a way that they would be accepted if they were transplanted to Salt Lake City, Utah. It'd be completely different. And so, of course, there's going to be constant slights from a church that says this is the one prescribed way to do a lot of things in a white shirt, white tie, uh, in this heteronormative way with the priesthood authority. And if you have any kind of problem with that, the slight is that it's not just a slight that like your skirt's too short or something. The slight is like the way that you believe and worship God and the way that you show up as you are is out of alignment with your maker. And that is the thing I'm always trying to get people to recognize. That is the thing that causes the most psychological harm is telling you that you're broken and that the answer is found here when you're just continually taking in the poison to continually make you sicker, to keep coming back to this church to somehow make you better. I didn't edit this very well. We sometimes think of the church as the same thing as its doctrine. Theologies and ontologies. And that maybe makes it hard for us to accept the ways in which the word experience imperfectly matches to those ideals. I don't think that the church is uh, an office building in Salt Lake City. I don't think that... All right. A lot was said there. Carly, anything jump out to you? Is it, did he say the church is not the doctrine? Is that, is that what Yeah. They're like, the church is not the doctrine. It's not the policies. It's not just that you interact with it in a ward building. 
it's not just the church office building, what the church actually is. He goes on to say that it's not a noun, it's a verb, like church is an action. And I just love, love, love when religious people play these word games where everybody gets to say that the thing that you want to do is how you get to interpret it. Like you can put any kind of stamp and label on things, but we, what does the data say? What are people's actual lived experiences broadly? Generally speaking, the verb that you're talking about has real like influences and, and problems, especially when it's based on a not true thing. So the verb, no matter how much you want to be like churches, like service churches is, is loving one another. The doctrines that are in place by the leaders that you have to sustain to be able to even attend this church, the that very verb, it's a punch in the face. It's not a happy verb, you know. Makes sense. It's a it, it, yeah. These word games drive me up the wall. It's trying to redefine. It's I don't know. It's giving it's giving Richard Rohr and redefining God, like God is in everything. And I love, you know, I really enjoyed Richard Rohr's stuff on my way out. It was very helpful when I needed it, but it was very much like, God isn't just this man in the sky. God is in everything. God is in all of us. And that seems so nice and lovely and it works for some people, but you're just, you're just taking, just taking words and redefining them. Ah, Sorry. I have to let my cat out. One second. All right. Well, Carly lets her cat out. The cat out of the bag. Let's do a uh, midday, midstream, I mean, nuance ho rant. So piggybacking off of what was just said and Carly describing and my Alan Watts quote again from before. Here's the insidious part. We're talking about two different things. We have to define our terms of what we are actually talking about here. If what the people in this video are saying in this Faith Matters Foundation, and again, do not think I don't understand the struggle of trying to make complex you know, ideas work within your family system and your faith system and your community and interacting with things that you thought were universal truths and then nuancing them. I understand that all day. That is like... The, the pipeline from devout Mormon to ex-Mormon that I understand and study for a living. That's not the issue. It's when we're not clear in defining our terms about what we're actually talking about. Because again, if the proposition of the church is that it is restored by Joseph Smith, and here are the things that he laid out. One of them is Carolyn Pearson, Ghost of Eternal Polygamy. Carolyn Pearson speaks at these types of conferences. Love her all day. I'll literally be her number one fan till my dying day. Because she actually talks about these things, the, these, these actual doctrines and how, uh, they influence the, uh, the marriages and the psyche of people who, who actually believe in this doctrine that Joseph Smith set up. So that's the proposition of a restored gospel of who Joseph Smith was, what those keys were and what types of policies and doctrines he put in place that we still have to interact with today. And then what is the Q15, what kind of leadership and dogmas and authoritarian control do they have over people's lives to excommunicate people like John Dillon or Natasha Helfer that they have over people who have some type of dissenting point of view? How do you get your, your, your ideas heard? And so on one hand, the idea that like this church is a verb, it's about love. It's about coming to this, this, like a uh, Patrick Mason just said, 
that like it's you can interact with God in all kinds of places, but I think the best way you can interact with him is in this church setting. That is that is just such a narrow-minded view of what our basic instinct as a human is to do and to be is that that you sign up for loving one another. You sign up for this community, you sign up for you know, wanting these ideals of being with your family forever, these ideals that are that are so nice and uh, instinctual to what our human longing is after. <laughs> and then they they use those and they manipulate them with this type of like blackmail, with this type of, you know, switcheroo, with this type of quid pro quo almost that to to get all of those things that now you've you've been suckered into believing are only available here is within these walls. And then what are the hoops that you have to jump through to then get that thing that we told you was was best available, at least in their most nuanced view, best available through this community and things. And that is, again, the post-Mormon journey is we still want to be able to love and serve and interact with that. Those are all still good instinctual things of, of where can I go to find friends? Where can I go to you know do activities and listen to music and feel uplifted? The place that I came from told me that all of those things were here. So should I just stay here? Should I just stay here? And that's where the, 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 uh, the price is too much to bear with your integrity. And that is why ex Mormons are like the fastest growing, you know, Reddit Redditors on the internet It's because we're coming in contact so much with the integrity that the church told us that, you know, they, they kind of owned that to have integrity, to have honesty means to live up to these things. And then you see a church that doesn't actually do those things. They took away those ideas from you. They took away that instinctual good nature from you and said that it's only available here, that that integrity, that audience, uh, honesty is here. And then when you ask questions, you're the one who's excommunicated. You're the one who's who's shoved out and pushed to the margins. And the people that you want to love, your LGBTQ friends, people who are on the margins, you understand that like this church is not uh, just this uh, uh incumbitor of, of all of these good things. It actually is pushing my best instincts away to then, uh, to, to circumvent all of those good natured things to then adhere to the church. So that's my main problem with, with propaganda like this is that is in the service of without noticing it very slyly without noticing that it's actually in service to a dogma. It's in service to sustaining leaders and in, into, uh, a church that that just doesn't exist. It's taking these beautiful ideals of service and saying where they are best found. And again, there are a million different reasons. It's not true, but then again, that that integrity that the church tells you is is on the line. You kind of have to decide: Well, are am I going to follow the integrity that I have within that tells me that it's not true, or am I going to 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 uh, outsource that integrity and that autonomy? to this place that tells me this is where it's all found anyway. That's that's the balancing act that so many um, people of all faiths, but in Mormonism have to do, especially because the integrity is absolutely not with the leadership time and time again. They are hiding things. Like I mentioned, they're excommunicating people who tell tell you that, you know, the church is hiding things or else they'll hide you. So to summarize this, this type of propaganda, it's it's simply propaganda. It's nice. I'm sure people have in their personal lives the way that they interact with the church. They do it in a way that works for them. But then when it's put online and it's propagated, like you can find these things within the church. I think that's bullshit. I think in the the, the only truth of the matter is is that everybody should be on a journey to find these things and follow you know the integrity and the intuition that's within themselves and not be told that it's contained 
within this system because they're not talking about the system that you have to achieve. We're using a lot of wider flowery language that sounds nice, that sounds Christian, but we are talking about a church that that will take away your family in the eternity is if you do not live up to your temple covenants. I mean, am I crazy or did I go to a temple ceremony where Satan stared at me on a on a giant screen and said, if you do not live up to your covenants in this temple this day, you'll be under my power. It's like the contrast between that and like church is a verb. We're just here to love and serve people. Like uh, I wish, I <laughs> wish that that was just what church was, but for something to make money, to have a, an orthodoxy and a, and a, a people who want to have rigid thinking, like our brains are sometimes wired to do as human beings, as you know, homo sapiens, it needs to have a lot more of like a plus B equals C type of logical thing, which makes sense for our human brains. But that's that's the journey. That's the opposite. That's the, the, the Alan Watts thing I was talking about. It's like that that free-flowing hippie liberal idea that like some things you've got to figure out on your own and build community as you go. Thank you. That's all I got. Carly, you back? That was great. Thanks. That was great. How's your cats? He's out. He's out and proud. <laughs> Out and proud. That's how we want them. All right. It's actually K that you have to press on Google Slides. It's not the space bar. The church is uh, an office building in Salt Lake City. I don't think that the church is a set of books and manuals or even doctrines and policies. Do we mean an institution or do we mean when I covenant in the temple to consecrate all that I have to the church? I'm thinking about to the Latter-day Saints who all over the world in so many different circumstances i was in a all right i got a main i got a big problem with that let me rant again and then go after me <laughs> again the ways that progressive mormons talk about the church versus how the church that they are in essentially trying to guide people to have a more of a devotion in is not the way that the people they would be devoted and following would even describe the church you see the breakdown in the chain of command here because you do not, you know, consecrate in the temple your time, talents, and energy and money for the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints around the world. The church leadership themselves do not consecrate that, even though that's their whole fucking job is to consecrate their time and talents to serving the membership. The church's best interest is in keeping up its appearances for itself. That's why, like, the two biggest departments of the church are, like, that they spend money on, you know, it's like the, the PR department of what the church looks like. And then the attorney arm of the church from Curtin McConkie of what legal battles they'll fight and the type of like amicus briefs that they submit of what they actually care about. It's not in the best interest of children. We know that. And so it's like, as nice as that sounds that you want to consecrate your, your energy and time talents to the other Latter-day Saints around the world. Again, why the fuck would that be a good thing? Even in the best circumstances, you should consecrate your time talents to just humanity as a whole, no matter what label or church that they belong to. But even with that being said, the church membership itself does not play that kind of role. They expect you to consecrate your time, talents, and energy to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to their authority. And if you cannot, that's grounds for excommunication, right? That's why they say specifically the next covenant, like after that in the temple is no speaking ill of the Lord's anointed. It's not like, I covenanted in the temple to never speak ill of anyone who's been the Lord's anointed in the LDS church. It's just like, you can say whatever you want about that, but the church has a specific mandate of how they expect you 
to live out that commandment. I mean, it's not like you can go in and say, Bishop, I'm going to consecrate all my time, talents, and energy to um, the YMCA and, and be like, can I still have a temple recommend? <laughs> They'd be like, no, you can't. That's not how this works. Even though they're also saying that church isn't an institution, it's not a building. Again, please, I need, I need clear definitions. This is how my brain works. I cannot do this little dance around like churches. Like if you're trying to play both sides and saying the church is church, like you go to church, you go to the temple, which is a building, by the way, and you have to pay money to go there. And church is also this nebulous kind of wishy-washy, no, there's no clear, like it, it is whatever you want it to be in a sense. That's great. I can get on board with whatever you want to do, but you also can't say that it's also this. If if you cannot go to a bishop and say, I am going to, I'm, I, I'm going to pay tithing to this charity and not, and not this institution because my church is in the Trevor Project, for example. Great mm -hmm. charity. But you, you can't do that because that, again, that is not how it works. You can't have it both ways. I know it's hard. I know people want it to have both ways, but it's a hierarchical closed leadership. You don't get a say in it if you want to reach the highest levels of this MLM. <laughs> you have to it's toe the party yeah. line. You have to toe the party party line in many ways. And I was just having this conversation with someone close to me who is a believing Mormon, and I almost forgot what's like to be very devoted to the institutional church and to this whatever church this is in somewhat of a progressive way this person is very just one of the kindest best people i know and they're very devout in a progressive way like this is the kind of person that i would want to interact with the kind of mormon that i like to interact with anyway and i was saying you know, it would be so great if Mormonism could find, you know, for a lot of people, not for me necessarily, if Mormonism could be more like Judaism, where it's yeah. not about belief, it's about your tradition and your heritage and your culture. And there are lots of, you know, and I don't know much about, I know very little about Judaism. So I'm sorry if I am misspeak about the religion. I, I don't want to, but I don't think it's hierarchical, right? I don't I don't know if it is, not in the sense that Mormonism is where it's closed leadership and it's very secretive. It's more about a collective tradition and your ancestry and your heritage. And I was just saying to this person, this just feels like a healthier way to practice religion in general. Not that it has to mm -hmm. be like you either believe these things and do these behaviors, otherwise like don't even bother, right? And she this person was so confused <laughs> and I, this is the moment where I thought, Oh, wow. I forgot what it's like to, to be in that headspace. She said, well, why would you want to participate in something that you do not believe in? And I said, that's, that's exactly the problem. <laughs> that's why when Mormons have faith crises, a lot of them end up leaving altogether because there is no 
there is so little room to be in this weird middle space of progressive or nuanced Mormonism because you're left out of so many rituals that are supposed to be so necessary. And it's like, well, so you either have to keep you, you, so you have to choose between being authentic to yourself or fitting in with your community. And that's, that's a space that is very difficult for people to be in. And so people just leave all together because there's no room. And she, and she was so confused. She was like, I hadn't, I have never thought about it this way, like in terms of Judaism and how they practice their religion and versus Mormonism. It's very, it's very all or nothing. And she, I think I gave her something to chew on and she's like, so would you come back? <laughs> like if there was more space to like be, um, you know, kind of be in the middle. I said, I probably not, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, I just like what again I need clear definitions don't yeah. try to speak out both sides of this um orthodox versus progressive church I, I don't I it's hard for me to understand it yeah and the only thing I'll add to that is um I think the main difference is is like ritual religiously speaking that the church wants to say that like you know, in the temple, we do these rituals that remind us of our covenants and so on and so forth. Uh, but the reality of just the aspect of shame that that I that 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 poison that they kind of feed you and tell you that the only anecdote is within their institution is that you can have rituals in a religious context, like in Judaism and things. And Mormonism could, in like a hundred years, transition to that if they can, if you can be able to interact with the rituals without feeling such a sense of shame for what will be taken away from you, if you are not living up to checking all of the boxes, because shame does not produce, you know, the, the most thriving person. You don't act in your best self when your, your instinct is to, to not feel shame. It's about, you know, a, an institution that does not put unrighteous amounts of shame on a person on, on, on bad ethics and on bad psychological principles based on Rocky mountain Bible fiction, sex cult ideals, you know, it's, it's this impla improperly placed shame within the rituals that are so triggering people that they have to get out. But the rituals and what you're doing, I think can be, you know, aspects of all different types of cultures. It just depends on how you, uh, how you were told what that ritual means will screw up your salvation and your, your, your psyche as it is. That's like everything about the church is influencing your psyche to feel shame. If you do not measure up, that's how I would put it. Amen. <sighs> Amen. Okay. More. A mower. A relief society lesson recently. And I was in a relief society lesson recently. And the woman right next to me said, I come to church so I can be surrounded by people that believe and think and live the same way that I do. And I appreciated her answer, but as I reflected on my own, I realized that mine was the exact opposite. That I love the gift of coming to church so that I am surrounded by people that stretch me. I think C.S. Lewis. Um, I just wanted to stop that because, again, that's a great progressive way of looking at it. I come to church because I want people to stretch me. 
But I think that they're both wrong. That's why I have to beat up on progressive Mormons who say this is that sounds really nice that you're around people who stretch you, but there is kind of one right opinion and it's, it's the very conservative orthodox opinion in Sunday school. And whatever you feel stretched on is probably actually going downwards towards your progression and society in general. I'm guessing your, your ways of disagreeing with people at church are likely to, to be more in alignment with uh, healthier, better practices and better truth. And so it's, it's not like we're all just a mixed bag of a bunch of weirdos. Church is a hospital and we all have so many different opinions. It's like, no, I mean, there's, there's a manual and there's, 200 years of teachings and we kind of know how it goes and you can either fall in line with that or you can't. This is not a good example of like what a Sunday school lesson is like. It's like I come to church to to be stretched. It's most people kind of come there because they're Mormon and they they don't want to be like that. She referenced the earlier person. They don't want to be challenged in school or in Sunday school and in church. Like that is their refuge from the world that disbelieves their Mormon truth claims. And I'm sorry, but if you're going to church, if you're going to church in the U.S., most parts of the U.S., how much are these people at church actually stretching you with their very diverse <laughs> life That's experiences what I'm saying, yeah. and thoughts and opinions and um, life experiences? How much can they really be stretching you truly? In what way that you're, you're like, wow, I didn't think about this scripture that I've read a thousand times this way. Thank you, Janet. I'll now think about this a different way and then forget about it. Like it, how much can you really be stretched by the same people that you see every week that b believe so similar to you, similarly to you? It doesn't make sense. Especially when, I mean, just think about the dynamics of the average church ward building, the difference between if the stake president comes and he gives a speech and it's like, I am here to give you the gospel truth from heaven above through my authority into your ears versus if, you know, the Relief Society president gets up and speaks or you're in Sunday school and a woman speaks or whatever. Like this is really uh, doing a disservice to the actual structure of the church and how the stretching that they're talking about in church that's done by people usually in positions of authority asking you to stretch to give more to serve an, a, an additional mission if you're in you know a senior missionary to give fast offerings to clean the toilets at the church building on saturday mornings you know the stretching they're asking you to do uh like is is it really uh to to think outside the box from what your normal behaviors and patterns are going to be Yes, but in a way that serves the interest of the church 99.9% .9 of the time, you know. Kai says, maybe she means physically stretched. Maybe this is where the tantric massages come into to play. Tim, <laughs> the prophet of our time. Maybe this she is just where starts being like, I go to church. I go to church where the tantric massages and uh, the, the rusing of my couple's undercover partner. That's where I feel the closest to the Lord when I am getting ketamine treatments. And they're like, should we leave that in? No, that, that, we should probably cut that out. Okay. These are Tim Ballard jokes. They will all make sense when my documentary comes out in a couple days.
Lewis is the one who said it's really easy to be a Christian until you hang out with other Christians. Increasingly in our world, I think there's a lot of grit and over time, the rocks bounce against each other, they polish each other up and they become very beautiful. One of the things that makes community the most effective also makes it the most uncomfortable in that we are close enough to people where they can hurt us, but we're also close enough to people that they can improve us and that we can help improve them as well. Jesus gives us a beautiful description, I think, of what a church is in Matthew 18. Jesus gives us a um, I have many more problems. I did not want this to be this long, but I have so much ranting to do. You can go first. Rant Anything point. that stuck out to you, Carly? No, I, I don't know. I'm trying to follow these people. <laughs> They're train of thought here. I can, re I can repeat it for you if you need me to. The, the idea that in the same way that rocks in the ocean can create smooth, you know, jagged rocks to smooth rocks because we're all bouncing off each other, interacting and like, you know, you're close enough to people that you can have a sense of community and gain a lot of knowledge and insight, but you're also close enough that they can hurt you. And, uh, the, my main problem though, is again, you are talking about something so broad and general that you're making people go like, Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. You know, and, and usually this is about people who can't make it work in the church of like, oh, somebody just offended you. you yeah, you're, you're in close proximity with a lot of other believers. We're all imperfect. That's all God has. Finite vessels will be overflown. You know, this is the best God has to work with is imperfect people. We're going to be interacting and jagged rocks will all smooth each other out. It's like peaking this idea within our conscience that's like, yeah, of course that's true. But it's within, again, the structures of the LDS church that has a specific lane of authority and a lane to get to that authority is by adhering to an orthodoxy. It's not by, you know, being stretched by uh, your neighbor's liberal views and having those interact with the way that you teach your Sunday school lesson. You'll be kicked out and you won't be teaching Sunday school no more, Sister Johnson. You know, it's the authority of the church is not something that you can just sh uh, shove under the rug here. You're not just like, you know, we we're in close proximity to each other and that's why we, we get hurt. It's like, no, literally I was told that I had to go in and confess these things about my, my sexuality to my Bishop. And it was horribly traumatizing. Like the proximity is like actually name the proximity. What are we actually talking about in the average, like Mormon church person's life? It's not just like, I didn't like the casserole that they made for me. And I had a bad time, so I left. It's the authority that is supposedly talking for God that interacts on his behalf and you outsourcing your authority to assume that they do to allow so much bullshit to continue um, on a systemic level and then in your daily interactions. It, we're talking two different things here. Faith matters. Not a fan. I'm still waiting for the part where like, I'm sorry, but you can have all these things without going to a church. Like what it's, it goes back to that, that axiom. That's like, what's good about the church is not unique. And what's unique mm -hmm. about the church isn't good. Like, okay, what I'm, I'm waiting for you to explain to me, like, here's what I find at church that I cannot find elsewhere. You can mm -hmm. find people that stretch you physically or mentally. Um, and help you grow in ways that you might not have thought of before make you think and, and, you know, look at things a different way. You can find that in many 
many different places, not just at church. And you can find it in places that um, don't bring the, this shame baggage and guilt baggage along with it. And this harmful rhetoric that you, like you were saying, you are broken and we are going to create this disease and we're going to sell you this cure. You can have all of those things and be this rock in this river and bump alongside other rocks and become polished and become, you know, this rough stone rolling, you know, let's throw that in there. And without, without all of this baggage that comes with being in a system that is hierarchical, patriarchal, homophobic, racist, and um, very can be very harmful for many people. And mm-hmm. for example, throwing out the Lost and Found Club met so many people of that are, are diverse and with different life experiences. Yes, we're all like coming from this post this this post religious space, but people are so much freer to be themselves and to be more authentic and to be more open. And we talk about all, all sorts of things. And guess what? Nobody talks about like, like there's no like, oh, you can't talk about that. You can't say that at church. You can't do these things. You can't like, if you are drinking this or you're doing that, or you're wearing that, that means you are this or you're that. There's none of that. So I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for, for this in this video to tell me here's why I go to church because I find this at church that I cannot find anywhere else. Yeah, that's a good point. Let us see if they have the answer to what are you actually saying that you can find here that you can't find anywhere else? Cause this is funny. Cause the next quote again, that this guy's going to say does not say that <laughs> gathered together in my name. I will be there. Also, I love that. There is- yeah, so he just explained that Jesus said that wherever there is a, just a couple of people gathered together in my name. Jesus said that I will be there also. Great. You know what? You're proving my point, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like you're proving the point that like God is not within the walls of a really pristine temple where the chandeliers have to be imported from Italy and cost $600,000. True story. Where there's some kind of backdoor money laundering happening <laughs> in these temples with the families yeah. and the like a Mormon mafia type deal. The only place where people are gathered together and Christ is not is inside the meetings of the quorum of the 15, you know. Christ there was famously in a chandelier. With, uh, never mind. Sorry, go ahead. Christ was famously in a chandelier. Yes. <laughs> Under a chandelier. <laughs> where I get to engage. We learn from each other. We list each other. And I think that church and especially sacrament meeting and, and, and also our meetings like Relief Society and Elders Quorum, those give us those opportunities to share those bits of ourselves, but also to learn about other people and those complexities. And I think that's where we see glimpses of divinity and we're able to, to really connect through those things. The honesty helps people to feel more normal, more accepted, more love. When we gather. Yeah, honest. The, those things are true. Here's, here's again, that's the insidious thing is we're taking things that are true in a community setting. This is why I'm getting mad. More progressive Mormons. I love you. You're in a tough spot. I'm not trying to rag on anyone in this video specifically, but you're taking things that are just universally true and wonderful that we seek after as human beings and act like the Mormon church is an embodiment of that? Are you sh- fucking kidding me? Like the church <laughs> is the place you can share parts of yourself and not feel judged 
and we can grow from each other. No, there is one set way of doing things. You uh, will literally be excommunicated if it comes to that. But like the the orthodoxy of the church that is in direct opposition from everything from, you know, evolution to the best practices that you would get in a therapy office from like an actually trained psychologist are always at odds with the church's teachings and always have been. So this idea that you can share parts of yourselves that will be respected, if it's out of line with what the brethren teach it, your, your little hand raising in Sunday school is not going to create any kind of systemic change for people around the church, let alone in that group of, you know, 30 women in, in relief society, that there is a, a, the house always wins the, 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 the church is at the top of this pyramid scheme and they dictate the rules and you either like it or leave it, you know? I'm still waiting. I'm sorry, but I, am I watching a nature documentary or am I watching? That's a... what I was thinking. <laughs> like nature is awesome. Again, what does this have to do with, um, like what is, what is so unique about this that you can only find it like at church? This church that you're like, why church? You know, I go to church because of this, even though it's so fucking boring. And so I have to come up with mm -hmm. all of these. I have to find just morsels of meaning in every, just minutia of every day. Because otherwise, it just is all going to fall apart. I, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to, yeah. to understand. <laughs> And if it is boring, then it's like you go with the intention of having a question that God will answer. And sometimes the answer is you need to be more humble and you're looking to be entertained. Well, maybe you should learn to sit quietly and ponder on that this is God's true church. And why are you such a rebel that you want it to be entertaining? Do you need to go <laughs> repent, Jezebel, for having your entertainment needs not be met? <laughs> they did uh, remove the from the temple so the did entertainment they? factor i think they did i think that it's not not i'm going the, back of the lord's anointed but i think they did remove the loud laughter um what was it a covenant a threat i don't know what it was but so there's some there's some room to up the entertainment game you can laugh now so take note well church leaders a chuckle will not send you to hell. Breaking news here on the Nuanso programming. Give a like, by the way, for having Carly on the program. Great guest. One of my favorite yeah. TikTokers. Mine too. We all share that in common. Uncertainly Carly. And also all of your links are down below in my description. I thought ahead and planned because I wanted to make sure this was a moderately well use of your time tonight that hopefully people will go follow you interact more and get some more also, of your wicked good takes they're at a building which is not a church doing service oh saying that they are this is somehow related to church but could you imagine if the church did in fact turn all these empty church buildings that yeah. so many of them just lay empty all week long into community centers and they did stuff like this mm -hmm. they, they have enough money. They could feed the homeless, do activities like teach classes, um, help the community. Like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Or is this just about saying a few prayers, giving money, 
and then saying that you like service and saying that you love Jesus and then and then what? <laughs> yeah, this entire thing is is marketing. It's a projection of what they wish the church was, what their ideals of the church are, but the general overarching day-to-day <laughs> like what the church maintains is something that is completely different on it's, purpose than yeah, what they're purporting. It's not this. Uh, I also feel an instinct to people like when I go, Brad, poor people love Brad. So I had to do that because we're talking about poor people. And they're poor people love Brad. Brad. East situations, relationships, and conundrums. And, and kind of said, everyone is supposed to be here. <laughs> Dealing with these really hard things. And that's why I think it's so hard to follow Jesus because no one wants to do what Jesus did. Including the church. The church leaders are like, <laughs> Amen. Us last of all. <laughs> this is why we're here at this homeless shelter and not at church because church does not do this and they don't offer many opportunities to do these things. So we have to go to these places and do these things to feel like we are being like Jesus. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good place to end before your computer dies. And right as we're hitting the two hour mark, thanks for sticking with us, guys. Um, my final thoughts and feelings on this is the church itself, it, it wants to tell you so many different things. And this thing, this whole entire piece we're watching is just so convoluted with ideals versus things that are in its actuality. And one of the biggest ones is what this woman just said about that. It's, you know, because nobody wants to act like Jesus. Like, you know, it's hard. You gotta, you gotta push. Right. And I would actually disagree. I think my post-Mormon spirituality of what I believe has to do with, you know, like I like to talk about continually about intuition and an overall Christ consciousness that all the best teachers I feel like are in tune with and in alignment with, and it's not provable. It's not, you know, something that is data driven. It's just what I think has led our homo sapien species, uh, to have some of the best art, some of the best communities some of the best, just human interactions come out of what this Christ consciousness is. And that's what our, our feeble language has to call it has the word Christ. And, but it, what I just describe it as is, is an innate human intuition that pushes us to, to look after one another and, and to try to be in alignment instead of out of alignment, out of our intuition and outsourcing those things to other people in authority who will abuse and misuse them. And so it's actually, it's, it's the church that makes it hard. That's, that's the problem I want to come back to. It's like the church makes it look like, you know, that, that living these gospel principles is hard and that it's, it's, it's easy to take the 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 ex Mormon road out of here, or uh, and and just kind of downplay the the stolen intuition that they actually take from the onset from a child and your your ability to choose the direction for your life. If you are uh, raised as I I hope I can raise my kids to understand and be in alignment with themselves, that Christ consciousness and that ability to do and be those best ideals of Jesus Christ that I think everybody religious or not can look to as just some of the best teachers and masters of, you know, forsaking the 99 to go after the one to mourn with those that mourn all of those things that just give you chills that make you say, yes, like I want to be in a community where we, we care about people that, uh, 
that have nothing to offer us. Like don't always want a part of that. And I think that's what our human intuition goes after, but the church institution itself that actually is the stop between that intuition that tells us to not love people that, that are not, you know, deserving of our love because they're out of, you know, the orthodoxy of what the church teaches. And I have to reserve my judgment for them because they don't believe the ways that I believe. When you take down those walls and those barriers that are just manufactured by the church, it's actually a lot easier to love people is what I've seen on this side of Mormonism. So Harley, your closing thought. 1000%. And when I think about, here's the thing about Jesus to everyone listening. There is very limited, there's very limited data on what the actual Jesus said and did. And it is widely debated what he actually taught historical Jesus. I'm not talking about Paul's Jesus or Joseph Smith's Jesus. I'm talking about the dude who walked the earth and had his little Jewish following, little apocalyptic cult. Um, there's very little. There's very little knowledge about what he actually said. But the things that he actually yeah. said, possibly, were be a good person and look after the least of these, my brethren. Which means. Definitely not the dudes sitting in the red velvet chairs up in general conference in their nice, very expensive business suits with their six figure a year stipends and they're very insulated and protected and they have their multi-million dollar homes, yeah. multiple homes, many of them. How? I don't know. I mean, most of them are independently wealthy, but again, we're talking about the least of these, which are in many communities is the the queer community. It is the in indigenous communities, it's the black and brown communities. It is the under-resourced and the people living in poverty. And that is not talked, it, it is talked about in church, but it is very seldomly acted upon in the way that is so, should be so necessary if you are going to call yourselves the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, mm-hmm. whatever. And the hypocrisy is so infuriating. And to make it more palatable into something that it's not is it's confounding. And I I understand this need and desire to want to have this community that is broader and deeper and more accepting and more meaningful. And you're exactly right. The church, it's not Jesus that is making this so hard. It is the corporate church that is making this so unnecessarily difficult to love people as they are, accept them for who they are, and meet them where they are at. It's not Jesus. It is the leaders of your church. And guess what? You don't have a say in how they run this church. And you never will unless insane change happens sometime soon but it will so those are my thoughts exactly i wish the best to anybody trying to negotiate their belief faith interaction with whatever faith system they're in and if that's mormonism uh none of this is meant to judge or come down harshly but these are all hopefully important little tidbits from two girls have been around the block a little bit We've been interacting with these ideas for a while and what we think is true. 
but everybody will have to sort out what path is right for them. Um, what path is right for me is tomorrow I'm going to do another live stream interacting with uh, a video that Jacob Hansen from Thoughtful Faith put up, um, basically responding to people like this and saying that they are off the deep end and they need to be way more orthodox. So this is, it's again, from all sides, progressive Mormons who have this type of language, they kind of get beaten up from all sides, but the winning argument is always on the side of at least a lot of the things they are saying that they're, they, they, these loving ideas of, of hope and change and inclusion, uh, whereas Jacob Hansen and, and other Mormon apologists and podcasters, their instinct is to go anybody who's trying to create any kind of change that looks really nice and, and inclusionary that is against what I can have clip after clip of what the brethren have said, how to not do that. So that, in addition to, I have another really fun surprise in store as well that I cannot wait to just make some slam dunk alley-oop Jacob Hansen to me arguments tomorrow. So come back again for that. Anything else you want to add as your final thoughts? Carly, my Thanks dear. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I am a Cara Burrell Nuance Ho fan. And I have been since the first day I laid eyes on her on TikTok. And I was like, this chick is funny as hell. And I love her. So thanks. Right back at you. All this is the same things. Uh, please do me a favor and like that helps the algorithm. Subscribing is fantastic. And also again, a 501c3 and some people move in and out of this space. And I love to get as many donors as I can. I need to find a new studio to rent or to build or to do something. The mics and the camera and the time that it takes to do this is really, you know, takes it takes a lot of effort. So if you can't do any of that stuff, I won't sue you and I will not make you go through any kind of legal battle like me and a couple of my friends are in right now that is taking up a lot of our time. So no one will be dead to me or anything. I won't go after you in a court of law, but I will just ask really nicely and smile and like, you know, faint on a couch and blush and bat my eyelashes at you until somebody with your killer eyeliner too. Uh, it was kind of Halloween-y. It's supposed to be a little bit spooky. It's a little bit intense. But like I said, uh, it's Halloween time, and that's what I will allow for as somebody who, what, Tim Ballard, I'm out of his league. He, what, he, that's all I'm trying to perform for. I'm just letting one person on the internet know, can't touch this, you know. <laughs> anyway, I've rambled enough. Love you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, look forward to my Tim Ballard documentary in a couple days. Thank you so much for doing this with me, Carly. You're the best. Can't wait. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Love you so much. Bye.